Welcome to the next episode of the Talent Talks podcast, where we interview procurement leaders across the industry as they share their experiences and insights into relevant topics and challenges within the procurement industry right now. I'm your host, as always, Martin Smith, founder and director of Talent Drive, and we are a specialist recruiter across the UK in procurement and supply chain. I'm delighted to be joined today by Tim Bullock, Chief Procurement Officer and Director of Facilities at the National Air Traffic Services, or NATS as they're commonly referred to. Tim has been part of their organisation for nearly 10 years now and has led a significant transformation programme of both the supply chain function and the wider supply chain activities of NATS, building an end-to-end supply chain capability, which resulted in SIP's Platinum Standard being achieved back in June 2014, and in the following August 2015, the programme achieved SIP's International Procurement Project of the Year. It was also recertified as SIPS Platinum in 2021. Tim is also a fellow of SIPS and prior to his role at Nats held senior positions at Royal Mail and BAA. Great to have you with us, Tim, today. Hopefully I've got that intro okay and got in there that you've been recertified as well. <laughs> Absolutely. No, uh, thank you. Thank you, Martin. And it's a, it's a pleasure to, to join you. Great. Well, look, the first things first, clearly working in the aviation sector, the last few years, I think it'd be fair to say it's been a real challenge for the industry. So I guess I just want to understand from you to begin with how you've sort of managed that over the last sort of couple of years during the uh, the global pandemic. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I think, you know, we'd be in common with many businesses that you know, aviation, clearly safety has always been our number one priority. And, and it won't surprise you that, you know, we constantly have exercises and plans for business resilience contingency. But I don't think anything could have prepared either us or uh, many other businesses for um, something the size and magnitude of the, of, of the pandemic and its duration. And you often hear, I suppose, the most overused word for, for the pandemic is to describe it as unprecedented. But I can understand why people say that, because it, it was, and there's no real better description. I remember pretty vividly right at the very start of this, having an away day with my, my team. It was something like the 13th or 14th of March. And um, we decided as a business that what we would do is close our offices for 48 hours to stress test once again all of our online working and um, and, and how this would run. And, uh, you know, we sort of said cheerio to the team at the end of the away day and, you know, hope the test goes successfully. Little did we know that it would be, you know, over two years before we would have that whole team back together face to face. And, you know, the amount of things that have gone on during that two-year period, whether that be what's gone on in the industry or whether it's what's gone on, on within within the team itself, is absolutely phenomenal. And and I think when you look back, you you, you start to realise, you know, how did we really do that? How did we manage to sort of keep the operational running in, in, in that environment? How did we manage to, you know, keep the morale and motivation running? And, you know, you look back almost with a, with a sense of pride, really, that says, actually, we were able to do that because of what we had invested both in terms of our people, but also our infrastructure and all the years that came before. And I, and I think that's a, a sort of a big message that I'll, I'll talk about a little bit, bit today. But to get to a point where, you know, within about a week to 10 days of the start of a pandemic, our business revenues were down over 90%. Wow. And I don't think there are that, and that's in common with you know what was going yeah. on in the with the airlines, airlines themselves yeah. as well. The whole mm. sector, the whole sector was suffering hugely. And you know, air traffic control is a long term business. It's a reasonably capital intensive business, 
and we have a relatively high fixed cost base. So clearly the sorts of challenges that, that we came across was how do you move rapidly to deal with the situation where you have just lost that percentage of your of your revenue? How do you do everything that you possibly can to support the airline customers? Because clearly they're having the exact same issue. How do you make sure absolutely those core things that are at the heart of your DNA around safety, security, and the way that we want to do business as, as a, a customer remain? And it was very clear to me right at the very beginning of this that, you know, we had to stay absolutely core to our principles. And one of our core principles has always been around collaboration, relationships and partnerships. And in the supply chain arena, the strength of those just came to the forefront when this uh, this originally struck. We'd always prided ourselves on moving to a position where, you know, we were supporting and encouraging businesses through, whether that be SMEs or larger businesses, through lots of measures such as, you know, being very rapid with our payment terms, making sure that we were, you know, funding upstart companies, et cetera, et cetera. The moment you lose 90% of your revenue, some of those things become far harder to do. We were very fortunate. They were a well-funded business. Our gearing was at one of its lowest levels that had been for many years. But nevertheless, you can't switch off that amount of uh, capital investment that we were making somewhere in the region of 150 million of capital investment per year. Um, You can't switch that off overnight without impacts. So one of the first things we did actually was we pulled on those relationships with our large suppliers and we told them really clearly, openly, exactly what our issues were. And I think, you know, I mentioned earlier on, you're sort of proud of the effort that you put in at the beginning. Some organisations would have turned around and said, well, you know, great, we've got a set of problems ourselves, you know, we're going to fix our own first. Many of our suppliers didn't do that at all. And we're talking here, you know, big multinational uh, organisations right the way through to organisations with half a dozen employees. And almost to a man, the response was, no, we understand the position that's, we want to make sure that you're in a strong position when you come out of this pandemic and we will do what we need to to support you. And you remember that as well. Absolutely. You you remember you, you do remember that, but the reality is that sort of ease of switching of supplies is quite low in this business. You know, you you invest in a, a core flight data process as our core technology. If I were to tell you that, you know, that particular program that we're working on was first sort of orchestrated in 2004, went under contract actually about the time that I was first joining NATS, 2010 to 2012. And our first deployment didn't take place until the back end of 16. And we won't finish rolling that out until the end of this decade. It will then be in live operational service for at least another 20 to 25 years. And so those sorts of durations of relationships are so, so important in, the, in, in this industry. So investing the time and effort in building those relationships, I think, paid huge dividends when it came to some of the sort of very immediate things that we needed to do. And as I've already mentioned, you know, our supply relationship management program was, was massively important to do that. But equally, how do you measure and manage supply chain risk? Because for everything that I've described actually those same issues are occurring elsewhere in the supply chain. So later on in the program, you start to see things like the uh, the chip shortages kicking in. You start to see scarcity of other supplies. You start to see scarcity of labor, actually. And so again, 
we had always looked at our first tier suppliers in terms of risk and we'd begun a program some 18 months ago to look at where the risks lay within that extended supply chain that became increasingly important in that next stage of that pandemic so uh, you know i'm pleased that the work that we'd put in before and some of the mitigations that we took you know meant that actually we've not suffered from huge shortages like most people uh, the ability to get hold of uh, certain types of laptops or mobile phones the sort of commodity end of the IT industry has been more challenging but again we've been able to get largely ahead of the curve and then of course as you sort of get through that ne- next year we we have the uh, Brexit situation. So again, adapting to a whole series of changes to CE marking, to to UK CA marking, the aviation business clearly having large number of impacts in terms of how European legislation and regulations affect the business. And again, working that through a pandemic in in, in a virtual, virtual arena. So I'm just giving you a sample there of some of the sort of challenges. But, you know, I'll just say for the third or fourth time, the relationships both internally within the business and within our uh, supply base, I think, were the absolute key to delivering this. And having a highly motivated team and a team where we've invested a huge amount over the years in terms of the technical skill sets and, more importantly, the people skill sets, it's when you get into these situations that that, that that pays its dividends, and you know, I, I'm I'm delighted by the way that the uh, the team stepped up through really really challenging circumstances. You know, doing all of this with you know potentially you know having one of your children sitting on your lap whilst you're needing to you know do homeschooling. All of these things that you know everybody's had to deal with, but I think it's made it made us a lot stronger. I think it's made us a lot more open minded in terms of the working practices and styles we're prepared to adopt, and uh, I think. Nuts will come out of this a, a stronger organisation. But uh, needless to say, you know, there were some very difficult days along the way. There's no question about it. No, thank you for sharing those examples as well. I mean, that's really refreshing to hear that your supply chain and you know, your suppliers that you were working with saw the long-term piece with working with Nats and, and, yeah. and likewise, you guys collaborating. Presumably that investment was made pre-pandemic, i.e. the suppliers that you'd already been working and onboarding with. I guess you've built those relationships and that that trust and that collaboration and which you talk about. Presuming that was a pre-pandemic kind of exercise and work that you did to allow it that when the pandemic hit, it did stress test what was already quite a, a solid relationship is what I'm understanding. Is that, is that sort of a fair, a fair assessment? That's exactly the point. It, it would have mm. been very difficult, if not impossible, to have hit the ground cold and made some of the requests we had to make. Yeah. They were only made and and successfully made, should I say, because of the investment in those relationships over a, a, an investment in the relationships at a number of levels, I should add. You know, this is not mm. just about, you know, me having a, a great rapport with my opposite number. It's about having it consistent across your organization. And, you know, you have to put the effort in. And when I say investment, I'm not sort of, you know, particularly describing necessarily large sums of cash or capital investment. What I'm describing is investments in relationships. Yeah. And I, somebody asked me probably at the beginning of 2021, they said, oh, you know, what's the secret to this? You know, can you replicate it? And I said, well, 
you can potentially replicate the concept, but I'm afraid there's no shortcut. You can't just go and buy this. You can't just suddenly invent it. You have to put the hard graft in. You have to, you know, make sure that you've you've really understood that you've got that deep rapport. And, you know, don't misinterpret this. There were one or two organizations who were found wanting in this, yeah. in this particular uh, piece who didn't step forward. What they tended to have in common, though, was, uh, and this is a sort of a wider lesson in supply chain and procurement management, is where there was a mismatch, either in terms of size or scale, relative size or scale to us, or where their strategy lay. And yeah. and so, again, you know, when you choose your partners, your true partners, having that real alignment of strategy is so important because that th- this is how you build the relationship. This is how you get the best out of each other when uh, when when the going is really, really tough. And and I suppose now, you know, the, the next stage as we come out of this pandemic is to, you know, almost top that up. I, I sort of describe it as being a bit like a bank account, really. You know, we, we've made an awful lot of deposits in this over years. We've made some pretty big withdrawals over this pandemic. We now need to top that back up again. And uh, so, so you know, as we go into 2022, as travel restrictions ease, you know, getting out and about and uh, and meeting again face to face, there's no substitute. You know, being able to operate on teams, I say, is only, only works or works best. It doesn't only work, but it works best where you've got some existing relationship to fall back on. Um, yeah. Forming it entirely from scratch is, of course, possible, but is more difficult. I, t- I totally share that. Mm. Yeah, and and I think you know you also have to look out for people because not everybody is able to adapt to those kind of environments or adapt to those changes in working practices. And again, what I was particularly pleased with was how my team, in particular, supported each other. You know, if somebody's having a bad day, we would do a mood or temperature check through an online questionnaire. You know, how are you feeling today? You, know, you sort of thumbs up, thumbs, you know, whichever way you want to put your thumbs, um, mm. you know, and just and, and test it, you know. And, and there were days where people say, you know, I'm feeling a bit down today or, I'm, you know, I'm feeling like, you know, I'm sort of trapped in my home office. I can't get out and about. So we started to encourage the team, you know, Put the fact that you are going for a walk in the middle of the day in your diary and tell everybody you're doing it. Be proud of it, right? Mm. Don't feel that you're suddenly shackled to your desk. You, you, you would have you would have gone for a walk at lunchtime or walked to the canteen if you'd been in the office. What's the difference, you know? Yeah. So, so actually, we really encourage the team to sort of build a bit of social interaction. You know, we did the same things that everybody would have done in terms of, you know, the sort of virtual drinks parties, all these kind of things. But how do you build, how do you build that into your day? How do you actually do that? And actually how do you sort of peer group support? So again, you know, that was, um, that was something that, uh, that the team really uh, supported each other with. Oh, that's, that's a great anecdote. And I think, yeah, every business, you know, really struggled with that. And, and the team interaction, to your point, you can get, within reason you know teams video calls and having those conversations with your suppliers and indeed your your team but i think it has limitations certainly with new suppliers and and i agree you know to your earlier point i hear it from some of your peers in the procurement community that some of their suppliers treat them in a very transactional way so guess what it's not going to last the test of time it's not going to have that resilience piece there Absolutely. so i totally agree so let's lead on to you you mentioned earlier around you know the supply chain within nats is now for the better. It has evolved. It has changed naturally. And the pandemic has steered it, like all procurement supply chain functions, in a, in, a, in a different direction. In terms of the kind of influencing piece, how has that changed? And maybe talk us through kind of the influencing with the wider business strategy, both remotely and face-to-face. How has that sort of changed and changed the influence that you and your team have been able to have on, on the organization? 
Okay, so, so I'd, I'd sort of give you two directions in which that runs. The, the, the supply chain direct influence, but then also the sort of wider influence of commercial thinking, um, which yep. is a, a subtly different thing. We had always actually had quite high levels of spend visibility and spend control, probably you know related in part to being a relatively heavy indirects as opposed to directs organization and you know the safety critical nature and the the if you like the probity that, that associates with that so you know uh, spend compliance if you want to measure that on the basis of you know supply chain interventions and is it under the direct management of supply chain that had always been in the high 90s, which is substantially higher than some organizations yeah. are. In fact, it's higher than some organizations would want to be as well, yeah. but, but, it, but it comes partly through that. And the, um, if, if you like, the sort of leakage outside of that tended to still be through pretty legitimate channels through local buyers that had a dotted line to supply chain anyway. So, so in that sense, um, we'd always had good visibility. So, you know, actually being able to carry out additional spend consolidation with some of that was was important. Being able to rephase it was important as well. So so you got you got that additional piece. And and what that has actually led us to is we are using our purchase order system, our Ariba system, in a far more powerful way now than we did pre-pandemic. So the level of rigor that's placed into everything from formatting a requisition to the approval flows has stepped up massively. Uh, and and that's, that's powerful because that gives you good MI for the future. We have, you know, gone through a major phase of building our catalogs in a much more comprehensive fashion. And likewise, we have increased dramatically our electronic trading capability. And all of these things come really on, on uh, from, from a, a way of thinking that says, if you're operating within the, you know, you want to make the right way the easiest way is, is, is the mantra. So actually, if it's off the catalog, it's against an approved supplier and it's within these parameters, it pretty much can go still straight out the door. The minute it's off breaking some of those particular parameters, it's just subject to some additional le- levels of scrutiny. And so we're using Ariba in a lot more, uh, a, a lot more sort of um, professional way, really, in that regard. The second point, though, and this sort of comes back to your question, is that's actually really well understood by the rest of the business as well. So, you know, workflowing things around for approvals, attaching, you know, explanations, being far clearer around what a demand is. The rest of the business has got far, far better at doing that. So so that that's one form of, should we say, the transactional influence. Yeah. The second point of influence, though, which I think is probably far more significant in terms of the wider procurement profession, is the level at which I and the rest of my leadership team have been operating and what we've been helping shape. So people will often talk a little bit about, you know, oh, you need to you need to get to the top table or you, you need to seek your place at the top table. I've never particularly subscribed to that uh, sort of almost slightly demanding kind of style. I think I think you're invited and you, you, you earn your right to stay. And I agree. Through the pandemic, I was personally involved in in a major work stream to review part of the NAT strategy, to look at all of the cost optimizations, and to lead a number of those work streams. And those work streams wouldn't be what you would call traditional procurement work streams. But what it's doing is addressing the 
commercial challenge of the business and applying the commercial skill set that supply chain and procurement people naturally bring to it. So in terms of that influence, that has led us to uh, a number of programs of work which will involve the supply base, where actually there are significant influences about the way that we'll be able to increase the level of support and uh, and, and service to our customers. And we're doing that because as a supply chain director, a procurement director, being able to influence far more directly the business strategy to take us to there. And that, that will deliver huge amounts of customer and uh, and shareholder value. And so for me, you know, the pandemic bring, brings around opportunities as well and opportunities to perhaps make change at a pace that traditionally our business hadn't needed to make change at, pandemic brought along. The final thing, which is a bit more sort of personal, is that uh, towards the end of 2020, I was also asked to then pick up the uh, the responsibility for the facilities management division. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, just 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 you didn't have enough work on Tim. So right. <laughs> the, the facilities function had largely been outsourced for a number of years to, to to a partner. So there's real synergy actually in terms of the the skill set associated with that. But it also came in part from the the sort of ethos that I've described, which is that a supply chain and procurement function, you know, has to double hat. You jump between clearly wanting to be absolutely a service function, absolutely reflect, you know, helping your stakeholders deliver against their targets through to also being the conscience of the business and needing occasionally to say no, etc. And the facilities has many of those sorts of attributes to it. You know, how do you actually have a uh, office environment that's fit for the future work post pandemic, whilst at the same time, you know, actually meets the industry leading benchmarks and uh, represents value for money for for shareholders and and, and customers. Those challenges are, are actually largely the same challenges. And so, you know, within the facilities side, a huge amount of my time and effort was spent really taking the opportunity to accelerate again. And you've heard this a couple of times now, accelerate those changes in the, in terms of the way that we operate. So we, like many other businesses, we've introduced an agile working concept. I mean, look, I'm, I'm in my home office today and you know, as well as having the technology, what we've what we've done is we've tried to transform the the real estate that we we, we do have. So you know, gone are the uh, long uh, sort of rows of, of of desks, and in comes you know the more collaborative spaces. In comes you know the different technologies to to accommodate hybrid meetings, and we've not got that all right yet. I hasten to add, because like everybody else, we are learning what works and what doesn't mm. work. But I think, you know, if you look at the, some of the challenges for the future and the quest for talent, having that right balance, having that right office environment and having that, that blend of working styles, that's actually going to become a point of difference and something that I think people will expect and demand. And, you know, how you balance that with integrating into a culture and, you know, having those interpersonal relationships. These are all the challenges that, that everybody has got and we are absolutely no different. So so again within our office environment we are working that through. So so it's been it's been really good to to pick up um, that additional area. And the big themes to say for twenty twenty one we're rolling out agile working. The big themes for 2022, though, and again, it has a huge linkage back to the supply chain, will be the whole social value agenda. Mm. So we, as you can well understand, you know, with the technologies that we have, we use lots of energy. And 
how we both lower our energy consumption, reduce our carbon footprint and move to a world where we actually self-generate energy is going to be a big priority as we move through 2022. How do we actually influence that wider social value piece across our first and second and third tier suppliers? I mentioned risk management before. This is just an extension of that uh, in terms of you know where we want to take this. And again, the facility side has a huge number of those attributes associated with it. No, absolutely. One, I can only imagine that's, um, as you say, with the agile working piece, that's clearly going to be on on the agenda for for all all business leaders at the moment, and particularly mm-hmm. for facilities under your arena as well. You touched on talent, then. I know it's something you wanted to talk about today, and clearly, as a as a recruiter in this space, my ears naturally pricked up when you sort of talked around the biggest challenges and your views on talent recruitment, and you referred to it as the offering, I guess. And I know you you touched on then about the environment, the agile working piece. Clearly, you were talking about there, but. Talk me through a bit more around talent recruitment, how you've seen the procurement sort of, I guess, CV evolve and and I guess just your, your, your views on that at the moment in, in what clearly is an unbelievably job heavy and, and candidate light market, which I'm sure you're seeing in the UK procurement and supply chain space. So yeah, I'd love to get your views sure, on that. Sure. I've always taken the view, and this might be slightly controversial in the profession, but I've always taken the view that the technical end of procurement can actually be relatively easily taught. Okay, what you can't teach is that all of the things that we sort of, you know, spoke about towards the beginning of this, or or you certainly can't teach them as easily, the interpersonal skills, the ability to form relationships, etc. So increasingly, what we've tended to do is really look very hard for that and, and take the view that actually with the right mindset, the right outlook, the right wider business experience, we will overlay and, and if you like, teach the uh, the other aspects of it. And, and that's a model that's been reasonably successful for us. And what we've tended to also have is a pipeline of people coming through mm. and, you know, we've accepted that actually people will move on to other things and, you know, I'm very, very pleased that they, they do so. But I think what the uh, pandemic has, has taught us is that the old mantra of, you know, work's a thing you do, not a place you go, is absolutely true now. So yeah, so totally actually, agree. how do you get to a position where, I say, your, your employment proposition has that blend of, yes, of course, you have to pay in the right, the right arena, you have to provide the right environment, but you also then have to integrate people into your culture and your business and your teams. And and I think this is the piece now that's the challenge for a lot of us is how we best do that. And that's perhaps more than any other business that I work for is a socially engineered enterprise and, you know, lots of relationships that people have formed over many, many years. We have to bring people in to know that. So I think, you know, as, as, a, as a procurement professional, it's a very exciting place to be, actually, when you've got a combination of challenge, the, the challenges of the revenue decline that I spoke about, and then the challenges of rebuilding it. And I think, you know, that's something that you have to get out there and talk about. And you have to actually, you know, having SIPS Platinum and having SIPS Platinum renewed in an environment where we were doing all of the things that we were doing was no mean fee. And mm. and you will learn. If, if you want to come and, you know, sort of stick your feet up and, you know, do the job in the same way the guy before previously did it and, you know, just push purchase orders out the door, then that's isn't going to be the place for you. I'll tell you that now. Mm. You know, it will stretch people. It will be the sorts of places that, that you will learn. And it will be this kind of environment where actually, you know, people look and say, mm, that was quite tough, but I, I really enjoyed that. I got something out of it. I learned a different skill set. And I think that comes from one big attribute that we have, which is sponsorship. So the profession and what the procurement team are able to bring 
is understood by the whole of the executive team and is is supported uh, to do that. And I think in my experience in the different organizations I've worked for, when you have that degree of support, it actually enables you to to bring forward those ideas and have a receptive audience. It enables you to, you know, exercise and execute that professional training that you bring, whether that be from a relationship angle or whether it be the, the you know, the individual sort of tender work. And I think that makes it a rewarding environment. So mm-hmm. I think coming back to your question, you know, how you tell that story and how you open that door, those doors to that is is the challenge and the and the piece that we're working on and, and we want to get right because we absolutely want to have the best talent coming through. We absolutely want to uh, ensure that we have good experiences for those that, uh, that that do join us, and we want to make sure that uh, you know clearly we do so in a way that delivers for our business as well. So, with that in mind, the the, the final thing is that. What we've done as well recently is we brought people in with different backgrounds completely. Away from procurement, Tim? Away from procurement, right, yeah. Okay. yeah. So so people who have been customer relationship managers, risk managers in law firms. We've brought in people who are project managers. And we've yeah. overlaid those commercial skill sets. And that, to me, it, coming back to my sort of theme here, that's how you get these big rounded individuals. That's how you get those other experiences. So so I often say to people, you know, occasionally get a position, you know, where somebody says, well, I've got this opportunity to do something. I say to them, well, you know, great, because the more rounded you become, the more experiences that you have, the, the more value you become as an individual. And, and so, you know, we, we've, we've tended to adopt that, that philosophy. So you need to look outside of the traditional comfort zone. You need to offer career paths. You need to actually, you know, talk to candidates you know about what the offering is and what they will get out of it as well because you know this is this is not just a this is not just a one-way street in terms of you know this is very much a two-way decision process through any recruitment to to make sure that there's good cultural fit and it won't be for everybody it really won't but uh hopefully it'll be for a lot of people no absolutely i think the sponsorship piece is key you know if i look at now you know what people are looking for in a requirement when they come to us as an agency and sort of say you know i'm looking for for a role that has genuine sponsorship and investment in procurement and that's really key are they investing in people's careers or are they just a crank the handle you know to your earlier point you're just going in and raising purchase orders and renegotiating on the same contracts i mean thankfully there aren't many modern day procurement teams in the uk certainly that are that are like that but that's really important and i think the agile working piece and the sponsorship supersedes salary industry and even the category and to your earlier point around the technical and personal i i totally agree i think people are more focused now on on the eq and the the soft skills and the behaviors and that ability to influence rather than just the hr services category or fm or whatever it may be are there any exceptions to the rule tim from your point of view because often some peers of yours would say things like you know if i think about it services and capex and some of those more technical categories would you say there's an exception to the rule or do you think any category area can be sort of trained up and and upskilled i guess within the team i think people have natural tendencies to gravitate towards certain areas that they perhaps understand or they have an aptitude for but i think there's a difference between experience and ability and it is absolutely the case that there will be times where you say I actually just need somebody with experience to come and do that particular project or that particular piece of work. And I mentioned much earlier on that the model I've tended to adopt where I have that specific need is 
that's where I supplement my team with the contractor market. Yeah, okay, yeah. What I would far rather do with the permanent members of staff is, you know, clearly you have experience sitting either in your senior leadership team or people in the category. We'd rather transplant, you know, some of that experience and that knowledge through training and upskilling as well. So Mm. I think, yes, there's tendencies that people gravitate to certain areas, but I try to be a lot more open-minded about, you know, if you've got the right outlook, you've got the right ability to to learn and you've got the the people and, and relationship skills, you know, you can learn the IT category. Yeah. I mean, uh, I knew nothing about air traffic control before I joined Nats. I'd like to think I know a reasonable amount. <laughs> uh, it can be taught, uh, but you have to have the outlook in life that you want to learn that. Yeah, you, you, yeah, re- you really do. And we, we have people now that, that move between categories. I have people in the IT category who we've you know deliberately brought in and we've, we've, we've trained and upskilled. I have people in the technical air traffic control categories who you know we've parachuted into that area. I have people on my senior leadership team who had no procurement experience at all before they joined my team. So I'm afraid I don't subscribe to this view that says – the only person I would ever have in this role is somebody who's only ever worked in this role and has never done anything any different. Yeah. yeah, there's a bit of a time and a place for that on a very specific piece of perhaps a piece of on out, a project or something. outsourcing where you need the yeah. experience. But for the most part, I think it stifles innovation, and I think it's not a particularly healthy place to go. No, I, I totally agree. I, I share that view. And in terms of then the biggest challenge for you when you are recruiting, Tim, what what is that? I don't. I I wouldn't say there's one big. Biggest is there not a common denominator challenge? or maybe a barrier no, to entry think, in? No, not necessarily a barrier to entry. You know, clearly, I think you mentioned right at the very, very beginning when you were giving your opening introduction, I will talk about Nats. You, you introduced us as National Air Traffic Services, I think, and uh, we've not been known as National Air Traffic Services, I think, since 2000. So, mm. so you do have to sometimes explain the context of the industry uh, and people will look at it and they will sort of naturally have a, a visual representation in their mind of an air traffic control tower, which is a very small part of our business, actually. The most of our business is done through the large en route and uh, terminal control centres that we have uh, both in Swanwick and in Presswick in Scotland. Mm. And and so so there's a little bit of understanding what the industry is that you, you, you need to explain to people. And I think, you know, that, that that aspect is one. And, you know, geographical location being based on the south coast, you know, that's that's very attractive to some people. It's a sell to others. Uh, but in the days of now having a much better ability to promote work, the agile working that I've described, I think that's a barrier that's actually falling. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. No, it is. Well, obviously, as you well know, I'm, I live not, not too far away on the south coast in Poole. And, you know, it's a, it's a, a 180 degree talent pool because obviously the other 180 is, is just the sea. So, yeah, but I, I agree. I think that agile working piece is definitely allowing a, a wider talent pool when, when people are looking. But, but I think that's a really interesting point around the industry and the, and the candidates having that professional curiosity and that inquisitive nature to understand more around your business and actually focus less on who you are, but more around what you do and more around what your procurement and supply chain team do and more around, you know, you mentioned the sustainability agenda and you're valuing your people. And so I think actually there is a, there, there's a shift. People aren't just going, I want to go and work in a, a big corporate bank or a, a big retailer or whatever it may be. It's more actually around the procurement department specifically and what they represent and what they do. And I think that's probably the, the number one thing that people look for now. But yeah, no, I think that's a that's a good point. I've personally always enjoyed being 
part of an industry that has a degree of uniqueness to it and is slightly different. And I say mm. uniqueness, not necessarily in terms of the challenges, some of the safety critical stuff that we do, some of the, uh, you know, the security stuff that that would be common with, say, the nuclear industry or parts of the defense industry. So that, but largely, there is only one big air traffic control provider in the UK, and that's us. You know, mm. So there's a uniqueness in that sense. And there's a real sort of tangible nature to, to it, you know, keeping people say an air- aircraft safe in the skies. Yeah, you, know, you can really relate to that and and that's been something that's been common between a lot of the employers that that, that i've worked for in the past is that something pretty tangible that you can either see get hold of or, or understand or and relate to so uh, but that, that says more about the things i've i've generally looked for no i think i think that's a common theme you know that that's that's, that's imperative you know the safety of individuals when they're they're flying and the experience and you know i think it, it's heightened even more we've all been unfortunately because of the pandemic not been allowed to travel abroad a lot of the time there's been real limitations to our what we probably took for granted pre-pandemic so i think i think certainly you know what, what you guys are providing and and you know i share your sentiment and, and hope and confidence that the aviation sector is picking up again and we are looking at, at a uh, whether it's a pre-pandemic level of normality who knows it's certainly changed but i think you know nats are going to play a huge part of that and i think people do care about that i think people the last couple of years have come a little bit more sentimental and a little bit more sort of aligned to businesses that are impacting and have the social value piece which you spoke about earlier and i think certainly organizations like yours are going to be more appealing than than other sectors and other industries and i think people buy into that a little bit more so last question which we'd like to ask our esteemed guests is in terms of where you see the future of procurement going so a little bit of a a crystal ball moment there but i'd love to get your views on on how you you know you've talked already today around how you see procurement has evolved and obviously how you guys have adapted certainly the last couple of years but where do you see the future of procurement going, Tim? Yeah, so I think I've touched on quite a few of those ideas as we've been describing through. So mm. I don't see procurement as undergoing some additional major sort of pivot point. But what I do see is it perhaps sustaining some of those areas of involvement that have been particularly embedded during the pandemic so i mentioned before about you know the maximizing the use of the digital experience for example so i see that absolutely staying and becoming an absolute prerequisite in all businesses and some businesses have been in that for, for years but you know actually how you transact you transact in a remote way and you do so in a streamlined fashion you know that's that that would be a gateway criteria so so Every procurement function will need to be at the top of their game in, term, in, in terms of that. The businesses will expect that because the last thing a business will want is its procurement profession spending and dedicating its scarce resource, given what we've described about resource, to transactional procurement. It will want its scarce resource working on those big strategic change programs that really deliver against the business objectives. So I see I see the procurement function as having an engine room type environment, largely automated, and having a skill set of relatively senior in the business sense people who are influencing strategy, delivering against those big objectives, helping shape where change programs are, are being orchestrated. But at the same time, have all of those technical skill sets that yes they can execute a contract they can they can do the various different steps of, of of the procurement journey so so with that in mind i think we will see 
more people coming into the profession with slightly different skill sets, more people coming in with rounded business experience. And I think, you know, we will see the need to self-develop and train that additional talent as well as I've described in terms of how we're, we're, we're moving forward. I think it's become increasingly common as well. So the, you know, we mentioned how I now look after the facilities function. I see many of my peers in similar positions with, you know, it's procurement and because I think the skill set is, is valued in other business areas. So I certainly see that being a single procurement or supply chain function or buying team, however you want to describe it, I think, you know, organizations that do that were sort of missing a trick and actually having it as part of a common skill set that sort of is really there to service the business and also potentially in cases drag the business into areas that it hadn't see, previously seen uh, it needed to go. You know, those I think are, are going to be common themes. So I can definitely see, you know, the procurement profession being looked at to, you know, sustain the help and support that it was able to offer during pandemics. And every industry will have its own examples of that. Yeah, of course. Um, but I think the common theme there is, you know, actually it's very much here to stay, but, you know, very much assumed that the transactional side will be streamlined, automated, and the skills will be in those bigger, more strategic areas. Which makes it more available then to a wider uh, pool of talent Indeed. from different areas, which you've, you've referenced there, Tim. No, t- t- totally agree. Look, Tim, I-, I could talk to you for ages. Look, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Really, really appreciate your openness around the challenges of the last couple of years. And, and obviously, I share your sentiment around uh, long may the aviation sector now continue to thrive and recover. And, um, you know, best of luck with everything this year within Nats. And um, I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Thank you very much indeed. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. This podcast is free to download on Spotify, iTunes and our website, talentdrive.co.uk, alongside all our other episodes. So for now, thanks for listening and stay safe.